Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Carroll. Welcome to this episode of Employment Matters. Employment Matters is a podcast series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest and most prestigious network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms in the world. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Dante Pamintuan from CSIP Law in the Philippines, Vivian Yu from Wong Partnership in the S- Singapore, Atul Gupta from Trilegal in India, and Farul Yusuf from SSEK in Indonesia. Thank you all for joining us. The subject of our podcast today is business transfers. With the tremendous growth in business taking place in the Asia-Pacific region, this is a very important topic for businesses and um, multinational companies to consider. Uh, So I'm pleased to gather these experts. And we want to start off by asking, what constitutes a business transfer in Singapore? Thank you, Pam. So in Singapore, business transfer, we refer to it as a transfer of assets um, and not in the case of a share sale. So today's topic is really about what happens when a company buys and sells uh, assets as in employees, liabilities, rights and obligations. So that's the general context for Singapore. Um, And what happens in Singapore is that uh, we have a provision in our Employment Act that uh, covers mostly probably about 90% of the working population in Singapore. And what happens is when you have a business transfer under our Employment Act, the employee's employment gets automatically transferred from the seller to the buyer. And with that, all rights and obligations will automatically go over to the buyer. And is that something um, that is prevalent set up in in the Asia-Pacific region? Dante, is that similar to what you find in Philippines? In the Philippines, we make a distinction also. Um, I share Vivian's uh, comment about a business transfer, strictly speaking, being the sale of the assets of an entity to another. And the rule is that the parties are free to contract what each will do with the assets as well as the employees. But since the contract of employees in the Philippines are considered personal contracts, they are not chattel. So the buyer and the seller cannot agree what to do with them. Strictly speaking, the employees need to, to give their consent to what will happen to their employment relationship. They are not automatically obliged to join the buyer and they can say no to the transfer of their employment contracts, in which case the buyer will have to pay them separation pay. And this is uh, established by case law, by jurisprudence in the Philippines. So that if a employee does not agree with the proposed transfer, uh, does that have any bearings on the transfer in and of itself? The transaction come into question? Well, no, it won't stop the transfer of the business, of the assets of the selling entity. But the buyer will now be constrained to either offer some incentives to the employees who they wish to retain. Typically, a, a retention bonus is offered by employers who wish to retain the best talents from an acquired business. Atul, would you find a similar situation in India for companies that want to retain their top talent? Yeah, so thanks, Pam. And, uh, you know, I heard what Vivian and Dante had to say. And uh, I must add that the position in India is slightly more complicated, right? So we are a common law jurisdiction. 
and um, we don't have laws like the TUPE or the ARD, which uh, make it mandatory for employees to move along with the business in any such transaction. So largely, like the Philippines, it's commercially negotiated, right? Uh, if there is a business that's being sold, the buyer will typically take stock of what kind of assets it wants, what liabilities wanting to take over, what employees uh, are critical to it. And uh, parties would come to some sort of commercial agreement on how to structure it. So business transfers can be simply the move of few assets, referred to as itemized sales in India, or it could be the transfer of the entire business as a going concern, uh, referred to as a slum sale, right? Now, when it comes to the employees, Indian law is slightly ambiguous. It's a gray area in terms of whether their consent is needed or not. Certain judicial precedents have established that if a business transfer is meeting few uh, criteria set down under the Industrial Disputes Act, then uh, the employees can actually be moved over without their consent. It's referred to as a statutory transfer. And those conditions essentially are that it should be the move of an entire business unit, meaning not just a small portion of it. And the employees should move over with service continuity and uh, they should uh, move over with terms and conditions which are as favorable as they had before. Now, if these conditions can be shown to met, then there is an argument to make that you could potentially move them over without their consent, just notify them once the transaction closes. But that's a view which is uh, ambiguous at times and therefore, depending on the sector, depending on whether you're dealing with unions, depending on how aggressive those might be, uh, you may or may not want to take that view, right? And so in some sectors, we see a lot of the m and activity business transfers actually happening with the consent of the employees. And they're actually moving over after they've taken stock of what's at offer from the acquirers in and whether they think that that opportunity is going to be something that they are, uh, you know, keen to move into. So there's a lot of variables in yes, that. Yes, um, lots to consider uh, for rule in Indonesia. What, what would we come against there in business transfers? Well, in Indonesia, uh, it can get a bit complicated because uh, unlike in Singapore, business transfer is not defined in any laws, including the employment laws. But in practice, it is understood that business transfers involve a transfer of assets as opposed to a transfer of uh, shares. So when it comes to the employees, uh, basically it involves uh, two things, termination of the existing ones and then uh, an entering into a new contract with the new business owner. So basically it involves severance payment uh, in an in initial stage when the employees are being terminated which means that consent from the employees is necessary. Otherwise, they could not be terminated. And as a basic rule, uh, termination of employees in Indonesia uh, requires approval from the labor court. If you want to avoid that, uh, the only thing you can do is to get consent from the employee. Otherwise, it would be subject to the labor court approval. So it really can get a bit complicated. So it's interesting that you would have to obtain 
consent from the employee. But as I'm listening, I'm wondering, you said about that it's, you know, beginning a whole new contract. So I'm consenting to something and I know what that contract's going to entail or I'm saying, go for it, write me up a new contract. Yeah, basically the consent would include uh, uh, agreement to terminate the existing one and then they would review the new uh, template of the new contract. So it would cover both things. And that's why uh, before existing employer could terminate and the new employer could enter into the new contract, they would require the consent from the employee. Because basically uh, in Indonesia, contracts must be approved by both parties, including the employees. So given that the business transfer terminates the employment relationship between the transferor and the transferee, um, does the transferor have to pay severance to its former employees in Philippines? Uh, yes, that's a given. Um, in the case of a business transfer, if the employee does not consent to take on a new contract with a new employer, technically he is entitled to severance payment. And severance payment in the Philippines is computed as a, the, the formula used is the years of service that the employee has with a seller and a one month salary for uh, each year of service. So, of course, the longer you have been with the um, seller, the bigger your uh, severance payment would be. And in the Philippines, uh, severance payments are tax-free. So there is a huge incentive for employees to decline a transfer to a new employer, especially if they have skills that are very much in demand so they can cash in on their tax-free termination and then uh, acquire a new employment elsewhere or sometimes even with the same employer, the, the buying employer, I mean, because the situation in the Philippines now is that it's becoming to be an employee's market. We're running short of um, good talent and there's a scramble for skilled employees so uh, typically retention bonuses, signing bonuses are becoming more and more prevalent. So it, get, it could get pretty aggressive? It can get pretty aggressive, yes. But you raise an interesting point in bringing in the tax element of it. It's something that I hadn't considered. Does somebody else have, see that take place where, you know, somebody might have tax benefits that they would act a different way? You were saying that, you know, from the severance tax benefit. That's the full amount of severance is not taxed as income to the employee. So in our country where tax rates run to about 30%, this can um, have a substantial financial impact to the decision of employees whether to take severance or to waive severance and agree to a recognition of their past service when they move to the new employer. So if I may add, you know, very often in, in the Indian context, if you are taking a consent-based approach to move the employees over, then uh, tax considerations typically tend to be lower uh, on the employee's, uh, you know, list of uh, essential factors, right, based on which they choose whether or not they would want to move over to the acquirer. Uh, the typical things that we've seen matter most to employees is uh, the job market and the likelihood that they might find an alternate job. 
right? So if if that's looking bleak, then uh, they would typically choose to move over to the acquirer, even if the offer from the acquirer is not exactly what they enjoyed with the previous organization. You know, there are certain tweaks and differences based on what the acquiring entity is used to offer. And, uh, uh, you know, the taxation of the severance would, uh, be pretty much standard practice. I mean, India has has pretty large tax rates on its own. We go above the thirty percent rate for higher income brackets, but uh, portions of the severance that employees get can be tax free. So you know, and that would be the same case whether it was a redundancy in the normal course or a, a retrenchment arising out of a business transfer. So that typically doesn't play a huge role in the decision making. It's more to do with will I have a job after this business has moved over or not, right? And and that plays the biggest factor in their minds in in deciding what to do. What happens if the transfer ceases business operations following the transfer of its business to the transferee? Yeah, so the Indian position is that because the acquirer uh, is uh, is required to recognize the prior service uh, of the employees and they move over with that prior service recognition, the employees don't get impacted if the, the selling entity ceases operations. If the acquiring entity at some point ceases operations after the acquisition is made, then it would need to pay severance based on the cumulative period of service and not just the the period that they've spent with the acquirer after the closing of the transaction. So in Indonesia is basically almost the same when the employees are transferred to the new business. Uh, it's basically uh, they're given uh, options. Uh, I mean, the, the new uh, acquiring entity would be given an option whether to acknowledge the uh, term of service when they were still with the previous owner, owner or they could uh, reset their term of service into zero, in which case they have to pay severance. So it basically comes down to that, uh, whether they would uh, acknowledge the terms of service before. In Singapore, because the basis for our legislation is to facilitate business transfers from the employer's perspective. Um, our Ministry of Law, our Ministry of Manpower, she takes the view that if an employee decides that he doesn't want to move to the buyer and resigns, then actually there's no redundancy situation because the job is available for him at the buy side. So the only situation where a uh, termination or redundancy may come about is if the buyer doesn't want that particular employee, then it's between the buyer and the seller to agree who terminates that employee, whether that happens before or after the transaction closes. If it happens before the transaction closes, then the view usually is that there is a redundancy situation, and so the seller needs to handle all the redundancy payments. But then again, you know, under Singapore law, there's actually no statutory right to redundancy. So it's a contractual arrangement between the employee and the seller as to whether there is actually any redundancy payments due. Um, having said that, we do have what we call tripartite guidelines that the government has put in working together with the unions and the employers to basically suggest that if uh, an employer can afford it, then we will be looking at uh, between two to four weeks of pay for each year of service. But that's, again, a guideline and not something that's mandatory. 
So unless an employee actually has a contractual right to retrenchment payments, um, they're not going to get anything apart from contractual notice. So as we approach, you know, closing the, out the podcast, I want to leave our listeners with some practical recommendations, you know, maybe along the lines of guidelines, uh, some key takeaways based on the laws that have been presented and the situations that have been presented in reference to case law. Uh, what would you advise your clients? For the Philippines, we try to tell our clients to be mindful of the demographics of the employees that constitute the workforce for the acquired company. If they're looking to acquire an entity with a much older workforce with longer tenure, then there is a very high possibility that the employees will opt for severance payments. A younger workforce would typically not go for that because severance is uh, computed on the basis of years of service with the firm, and they would most likely want to move over with some service recognition of their past service with the selling entity. There is also a requirement in the Philippines that the acquiring entity should typically offer the same or similar terms and conditions of employment. There's some uh, leeway for changing some of these benefits if the acquiring entity has a different set of compensation and benefits. But the uh, new employer will be required to harmonize in favor of giving the employees uh, an advantage, more than a disadvantage, when it comes to harmonizing their compensation and benefits. So thanks, Dandeya. And I think there's a lot that echoes in India as well with what you just said. Um, so the key things in a business acquisition and while dealing with employees would be to get a good sense of uh, what you're buying into, what the demographics are. Uh, one of the most important issues to assess is whether there are any trade unions involved, right? Because uh, very often it can be difficult to take a consent-based approach in India if you're dealing with a trade union they're most likely to object or use the business transfer as a platform to try and bargain better terms. So in that situation, you might want to start assessing whether you want to try and meet the statutory transfer conditions and move them over without consent. Apart from that, uh, a comparison of the pay benefits terms and conditions between the acquiring and the selling entity can be crucial because you need to make sure that you know, you're offering employment, which is likely to be acceptable, which is likely to make the deal more attractive. And if necessary, you might want to also meet the statutory transfer guidelines, in which case you will have to then move to terms which are as favorable and uh, that can have a financial impact. The other aspects associated with employee movements and benefit movements in India, which can be more complicated, especially if you've got, you know, funded plans to, you know, contribute or pay social security, gratuity and things like that. So the shift of those funded plans from the selling entity to the acquiring entity can be quite complex in itself. These are very often plans that have approvals from the local tax authorities because of the tax benefits that they bring to the organization. So to shift the corpus or the money lying in one plan to the acquiring entity can require tax approvals, which can impact timelines. So that's also something that needs careful planning up front. So the more advanced, you know, do your homework now, yes. less headaches the you have diligence. later. The due diligence is very important in India. 
Furul, how about in uh, Indonesia as well? Yeah, like I mentioned earlier that all terminations would require labor approval. So I would uh, advise uh, my clients, whether they are the selling side or the buying side, that if they want to terminate the employees, they would need to make a, a really a, a good approach to those employees and uh, convey a positive message to them that their rights and entitlement uh, would be met uh, according to the law. Uh, so to get their approval to terminate their existing uh, employment termina- uh, relationship and enter into the new one. Sometimes they would need to add uh, what we call a sweetener in addition to what's prescribed by the law. And that would depend on the business sector, whether it's in a very established sector or whether it's a new sector. Typically, a business sector which very mature, uh, they would need to uh, give a significant additional sweetener to the severance package that would be prescribed by the law. For example, like three to four additional monthly salaries in order to entice them to approve the termination and to enter into the new relationship with the new owner. Well, again, Singapore has got slightly different considerations because the employees don't really have much of a say. Um, We usually tell our clients the most important thing is communication. So the town hall meetings, the the individual meetings with the employees, because they can't really say, I don't want to go. And if they say they don't want to go, they don't really have much compensation. So most of the time, people will just move over to the buyer. And it's a question about how do you then make the combined entity work? And so it's always very important for both the buyer and the seller to sit down with the affected employees and uh, talk to them and, you know, build a bigger and better business going forward. So that's what we will tell our clients to to watch out for. So that's what we'll hope for, the bigger and better business moving forward. And I think this business transfer topic is something that I think we will revisit in the upcoming year, not only for the Asia Pacific region, but for some of our other regions as well to see what the business environment is like. I want to thank all of you for being here with me today and sharing your insight and expertise on this very important topic of business transfers. I also want to thank our listeners for joining us today for another episode of Employment Matters. For more information about the ELA or any of our expert members here, you can go to ela.law to find more information on the Asia Pacific region and the business environment there. Also, you can please follow us on Twitter at ELA Global for employment news updates as well. On behalf of the ELA, I'm Pam Carroll. Have a great day.